Hey, Jericho. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Welcome. It's the middle of October. Full. Full of beautiful season. Stuff to do Mm -hmm. and leaves falling Mm -hmm. and pumpkins getting carved out and pumpkins everywhere. Yeah. In this country. Yeah. You you got to carve a pumpkin. It's your should I? Yeah. It seems like a lot of work. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of gory. Before we get into the rest of the show, I want to talk about my dogs. I love my dogs. I have three poodles. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I think I was like, I can afford three dogs. I guess I'll get them. And it's like three haircuts. They poop at three different times. They walk three different directions. They're so much work. And to keep track of them, I found this amazing thing called Link AKC, backed by the American Kennel Club. And it's basically just a collar that's a GPS locator. So if one of them wanders off, I can find them anywhere they go. And it's all controlled through a smartphone app. You can see exactly where your dog is. Mine's usually hiding under something or pooping on the lot next door. (laughs) It really helps with peace of mind. It also tracks activity and wellness. So um, it shows how much amount of activity they need depending on their age. And it's super easy to set up. And they have different sizes for every dog. They won the CES Best of Innovation Award of 2017, which is crazy because that's the Consumer Electronics Show. And that's where Mm. like tech companies unveil their products. Serious tech. Like VR. So to keep your dog safe, happy and healthy like my three poodles are, use our special offer from Link AKC. Just go to linkakc.com and use code GIRLBOSS. That's L-I-N-K-A-K-C.com. Use code GIRLBOSS and you will save 30% off your order and get free shipping. That's code GIRLBOSS to save 30% off your order with free shipping at linkakc.com. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's guest has been such an influential person in my life. Jennifer Rudolph Walsh is known for slaying the literary world as head of WME's Worldwide Book, Speakers, and Conference Division. She's a wife, a mother, and an accomplished agent responsible for publishing over 100 New York Times bestsellers. You come into my office and you're going to get hugs and we're going to talk about real stuff and there's glass everywhere so you can see through everybody living their real lives. In 2003, she became the first woman to serve on WME's board of directors. Actually, Girl Boss may not have even been a thing without her and WME. She was the person I was introduced to when I was like, oh, I guess maybe I'll do a book. I don't know. And I had no idea who she was. I didn't know what WME did. I didn't know what eight talent agencies did, literary agents. I didn't know how people made books. I was just like, I have a crazy story that I don't want anyone to tell but me. I don't want to tell it to a reporter. I guess I'll put it in a book. And um, I got introduced to Jennifer Rudolph Walsh. 
And that is why we're sitting here today. There was a thread that was leading you through the labyrinth of your life. And there are questions to ask yourself that will actually help you focus on that. By day, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh works with clients like Oprah Winfrey, Sue Monk Kidd, and Ariana Huffington. What I would say all of these amazing women have in common, and I am putting you in that, in that group, is that they are who they say they are. I think that's the biggest secret sauce, if there is any. And in her spare time, she developed Together Live, a multi-city event, bringing together a diverse group of powerhouse women to share and tell stories and be architects of change. I spoke with Jennifer about her work and how she's encouraging others to find their life's purpose. Purpose is important because once you define your purpose, here's what falls away. Anxiety, overwhelmedness, depression. Because when you're inside your purpose, you can't be overwhelmed. You just can't. But before we get to Jennifer, let's say hello again to Jericho Mandiber, editorial director at girlboss.com. What's up, Jericho? What's up? How are you? Pretty good. Cool. Um, <laughs> so tell me what's going on at girlboss.com this week. I'm going to pretend like I don't know, even though I do know. I know you know, but if you don't know, <laughs> now you know. <laughs> uh, this week we have a story about Zodiac Science as colleagues or as co-workers, as US people would say. And it's like how to kind of identify your co-workers' um, personality traits of their star sign, like according to a starter pack meme. So if you've seen like a starter pack on Instagram, you know the kind, it's just like a collage of stuff. And this is just supposed to drag star signs, like it's their worst habits in the workplace, basically. So as a Scorpio, mine is like a picture of a dead plant and a picture of someone being really jealous and eavesdropping on somebody else and the evil Kermit the Frog who's like wearing the hood. You know what? how that's like the evil. Are you an eavesdropper and do you get jealous? Um, not at work. <laughs> <laughs> I can't but imagine. I don't look after plants well and yeah, I think if like I was hurt badly enough then I would be like eavesdropping and jealous. Yeah. But I wouldn't tell people that or felt like that's why Scorpio some a, injustice had been committed against yeah you. if there was like a severe injustice then I would be salty as a Scorp for sure <laughs> so I looked at mine and my Taurus starter pack for at work I guess <laughs> is um I me googling how late is too late to reply to an email a slack message that says let's go get lunch at nine thirty six a.m <laughs> a drawer full of candy and um, some, like, lady looking down at a kid at, like, a buffet saying, can you just not? Um, <laughs> it's all food related. It's a lot of food. Yeah. I struggle with food. Food's a thing. Yeah. Basically, if you know your coworkers' star signs, just look them up and then send it to them and tell them this is what you are. And tell them you found it on girlboss.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to get to the conversation with Jennifer Rudolph Walsh in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk about Texture. Okay. So Texture is an amazing app made for binge reading. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of buying a bunch of magazines, uh, killing trees to make them, having them pile up in your house, become outdated, it's an app that has the best magazines, Bon Appetit, Wired, Vanity Fair, within it. So you can get access to your favorite magazines on your tablet or phone, and it makes them easy. There are so many great ones. Texture is searchable. You can mark what you like. You can check out back issues. You bonus video content. 
And they even curate articles and magazines just for you or whoever you're giving Texture to as a gift this year. Texture is normally only $9.99 a month. And with that, you get over 200 magazines. Uh, but if you sign up right now at texture.com slash girlboss, you get a 14-day free trial. Doing it. Of 200 magazines. So if you read really fast, you can just never mind. <laughs> Why subscribe to just a couple of magazines with that $9.99 if you could have 200 for the same price on your phone, on your tablet, all the time. I heard that Texture was selected as Apple's top 2016 iPad app. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. To start your free trial now, download the Texture app for a 14-day free trial. Go to texture.com slash girlboss. That's 14 days to try Texture for free when you go to texture.com slash girlboss. That's T-E-X-T-U-R-E dot com slash girlboss. Thanks, Jericho. You're welcome. But before you go, I want to talk oh. about the Girlboss Rally. Oh, yeah. So November 11th in mm -hmm. New York City, we are hosting the second ever Girlboss Rally from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's going to be amazing. I'm speaking. Amani Al-Khattatbe, uh, the founder of Muslim Girl, is speaking. Beth Comstock, the vice chair of GE, is speaking. Neha Gandhi, who's our editor-in-chief and COO. Jericho will be there. I'll be there. Dina Drewis, who's our editor, will be there. Dr. Lauren Hazuri, who's a psychologist and founder of The Practice. Sally Krawcheck, the CEO and co-founder of Elevest. Sarah Kunst, who's been on this podcast. Sally's mm -hmm. been on it, too, mm -hmm. actually. Priya Malani, the founding partner of Stash Wealth. Alyssa Mastromonaco. Amazing. One of our favorites. <laughs> uh who used to be the deputy chief of staff for President Obama and works at A&E Networks now. Lisa Price, the founder of Carol's Daughter. Julie Rice, the founder of SoulCycle. Lizzie Velasquez, who's a motivational speaker and YouTuber. Amazing Love. woman. Linda Wells, who's the chief creative officer at Revlon. Elaine Walteroth, editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. Whitney Wolf, the founder and CEO at Bumble. All right, that's a long way of saying this is going to be an amazing event. Go to girlbossrally.com to find out more, and we hope you'll join us. Also, I have a new book coming out. Girlboss Workbook. I'm not used to promoting this many things at once, but I have to talk about the book a little bit because I'm super proud of it. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's a fully illustrated guide to winning at life, or at least mm -hmm. just like making lemonade. I guess that's winning because that's all that we're really surviving here to do. It's a lot of the advice that was in Girlboss, a lot of things I've learned since then, all in like illustrated form, totally interactive. You can write mm -hmm. in the book. You can destroy it. You can give it to a friend. You can use it as toilet paper, whatever you want. Uh, you can pre-order the Girlboss Workbook now anywhere books are sold. Now, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh. She's the head of WME's Worldwide Books, Speakers, and Conference Division, and she's the founder of Together Live. In her role at WME, she leads the industry's most prominent book business with the largest presence of any agency on the New York Times bestseller list. And she's someone who's helped me a great deal with my books as well. I like to start every episode just at the beginning, which is where where did you grow up? I grew up in Long Island till I was 10. My parents got divorced very suddenly. I mean, suddenly for me, I don't think it was sudden for them, but I had never <laughs> even heard them argue, and I never knew anybody who was divorced. So one day my parents called my siblings and I into a family meeting and they said that at, after school that day, we'd have a family meeting. So I went all around school asking everybody what happens at a family meeting. And everybody told me that it means we're going on vacation. And so I was very excited. And I 
decided that my vote was going to be for Disney World. And I came to that family meeting only to find out that my parents were getting divorced. It's crazy when it's that shocking. Yeah. It was 1977. So, I, I mean, I guess, you know, a lot of people were sort of getting contagiously divorced at that time. But in my little town in Long Island, where my grandparents lived three doors down, I literally never knew anybody who was divorced. So there I was holding my yellow pad of paper with all the reasons why Disney World was actually going to be an educational experience. <laughs> and the next thing I know, my parents are telling us that they're getting divorced. Wow. At that point, we moved into New York City, my mom and my brother and sister and our dog. And we grew up then from from time I was 10 years old, I lived in Manhattan. And like all things, the crisis ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because – you know, going to New York City and seeing the wide world of people from every walk of life, from every perspective, every kind of understanding, it just completely transformed, I think, my my future. And you've had a pretty fascinating career. You, you started in college working at a literary agency. Was that your first job? Uh, no, I always worked. All the way through high school, I worked as a waitress. I worked at a very cool, very cool clothing store on 72nd Street called Charavari, which anybody who's ever been there was like, oh my God, Charavari. It's like, you know, pre all the really curated, beautiful pieces. Hmm. So I always worked all the way through high school. And then I got to college and I came home and found out that I had to start getting internships, which I had absolutely no idea what internships were. I mean, I was a hustler. I was like, how much am I making an hour? How often do I have to work? You know, what do I have to take home with me? And so the whole concept of internships was very foreign to me. And you know, very fancy. And I did end up getting an internship at a literary agency. And I didn't know internship meant you didn't get paid. So it was this hilarious go round where after two weeks, I finally got up my courage to ask for my pay. And she said, no, 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 it's an internship. And I was like, okay, so where's my pay? And we went back and forth until finally, I was like, is it a charity? She's like, no. And I'm like, do you make money? And she said, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you want me to work for free, but you're making money? I so love that. she loved it. She was like an agent was born. So she agreed to pay me for the non-paid internship. And then she <laughs> ended up hiring me to work full time. And so my junior and senior year, I worked from my dorm room and and then every vacation. And then I graduated on a Saturday and started working for her full time. And then I, five years later, bought her company. Where do you think you got that hustle from? You know, it's interesting because I just did an Ancestry.com reveal. Um, you know, I did a little video for them and I, they, they, they gave me my whole backstory. And my grandmother, who died when my mom was four, so I never knew her, she was so much like me. It's crazy. I mean, she started out, you know, didn't go to college, was born in Russia, got here, became a designer – Little actually, her story is more like you, actually, Sophia. She just knew what was cool right away, made it happen. She invented the mid calf length skirt. She went to Paris six times. She went to Cuba twice, and all that. And she died at thirty three. Not oh, no. that part is nothing like your story, but um, but I'm thirty three now. We'll see. Yeah, God forbid. Poo poo poo. But just the fact that she just hit it hard, and it was like from nowhere. And then and then they were telling me that she was like famous for not trying to hide her like her russian yiddish roots which people at that time were very like very much hiding their they were very desperate to assimilate but she was mm-hmm. cool and fashionable and also didn't care about assimilating so i think i come by it honestly and my mother is also a like a a workhorse we're worker bees what did you learn from your early jobs before you entered the literary agency did you learn anything from waitressing or yeah waitressing have you ever have you ever waitressed 
for like a day and I like forgot the ketchup so hard right it's so hard and you want to be and you think you're in the conversation people are talking and you start talking too and they look at you like no lady (laughs) you're not in the conversation (laughs) we just want to talk at you yeah so I learned multitasking I learned that the details are everything and you know, my whole thing is always about impeccable. How can you be impeccable? I mean, I'm not a perfectionist. I actually don't even relate to perfectionism. But I really I really try to just be impeccable with the details. And so I think that waitressing was an excellent training ground for that. Okay, so let's fast forward again. You worked for this literary agency for how long before you bought it? Well, I, I didn't want to buy it. You know, I've, I've said before and I'll say again, there's two kinds of greatness. Greatness that you go after and then greatness that's thrust upon you when you're in the bathroom. And mine was thrust upon me. I was about six years into working for Virginia Barber was her name. And I so I was, you know, not even 30. I already had one kid and another one on the way. And my husband had gone back to school. And she approached me. She said that her husband wanted to retire and that he wanted her to retire as well. And would I be interested in an owner-financed buyout? Sophia, I had absolutely no effing clue what an owner-financed buyout was. But I was like, wow. okay, cool. I mean, didn't have $5,000 in the bank. But I was like, okay, that sounds good. And so, what does that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> good question. One I wish I had asked. Essentially what it means is that the business finances the buyout. So in my mind, that meant if we bring in $1,000 to the business and her payment is $500, I pay her $500 and then I have the other $500 to run the business. But what I didn't know is that you have to take that whole $1,000 as, as personal income, pay taxes on it, and then – pay her and pay the business. So I really, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I didn't use my own lawyer. And I found myself in extreme hot water very quickly financially. Wow. And so what were the consequences of that? Well, the consequences were that I had to grow and change or die. So I just grew as fast as humanly possible. And in a very short period of time, we grew that place from three people to nine people and really changed the whole way we were approaching business. So it was a, a, a three years or more, a little bit more of just radical, radical change and growth. It was amazing, exhilarating, and terrifying because, as I said, I had at that point two kids. And I was in the first year bringing home less money than I had probably my first or second year as an agent because of the, you know, the lack of understanding the tax, the tax structure. And you eventually sold it to the company that you work for today, Yeah, well, so then I, then I grew it and grew it and it was – fabulous and I loved it. But I was beginning to see that um, the way that distribution was changing and all the publishers were being, you know, buying each other up. I mean, just in the years that you've been in publishing, you've seen consolidation. Mm-hmm. So I was really seeing that in, in the end of the 90, like 99, 2000. And I felt that my little engine that could of an agency was excellent at advocating in the publishing world and the foreign rights world. But when it came to movie rights, television rights, and other kinds of burgeoning digital rights. I just felt like we couldn't compete. And I really, I wanted a bigger boat. Mm-hmm. So, And you've got it. Yeah. So today, WME is the lar- has the largest presence of any agency on the New York Times bestseller That's list. That's right. Is 66% that- of the New York Times bestseller list is us. And that includes you, Miss Miss. And um, also, we are the number one content provider to all of the major publishers worldwide. And so how long have you been at WME now? I have been there since uh, 
I think, the end of 2000, so a long time. And so you're the head of WME's Worldwide Book Speakers and Conference Division. So that's more than books now. When did the speaking uh, department and the conference division become— The speaking thing um, happened about maybe eight years ago, right around the time we merged with Endeavor. And then conferences— Three or four years ago, we launched. We launched super small, very low key, with a little tour called Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour in arenas around the country. We saw almost oh. a half a million people. So that was an amazing, extraordinary, life changing experience. And I never wanted it to end. But she actually had a life to live, a network to run, movies to star in. So she wanted to go home eventually, and I got the bug and never wanted to go home again, which is really how the Together Tour was born. Jennifer Rudolph Walsh has had the opportunity to work with a really amazing group of incredible women, so her alumni, you can imagine, is the best. I was curious to know, are there commonalities between them, and what can we learn from their quote-unquote successes? You've been able to work with Oprah Winfrey, Ariana Huffington. Sophia um, Amoruso. Such amazing women. What do you feel like you've learned from these ladies? What I would say that all of these women that you just mentioned, and I would add to that Sheryl Sandberg, Brene Brown, Sue Monk Kidd, what I would say all of these amazing women have in common, and I am putting you in in that group, is that they are who they say they are. Thanks. I think that's the biggest secret sauce, if there is any. I mean, people like to use the word authenticity, but I think people misunderstand what that word really means. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people that are resonating on a cultural, national and international cultural level are people who are really, what I would say, living their purpose. And they are who they say they are. And they do what they say they do. And it's just, it's powerful and it's contagious. What do you think people think the word authenticity means? That's interesting. That's a good question. I think people think that authenticity just means saying whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think people mean when they say authentic? I think it's like a little bit of a pose, you know? I think there's like so many things that are celebrated in the grand scheme. They're all like good poses, you know? Right. I think even just as PR, they like maybe make the world a better place right. on like a social level, but maybe not on like a spiritual level. Right. Um, because there's so much pressure to be be a certain way or to get involved in a certain cause or to have a specific, I mean, especially in the, the, you know, the environment we're in right now. Um, And you really do like have to take a side and should use your platform for good and all of those things. But there's also, you know, if you're not outraged, people will be outraged with you. Right. I would say to that, like, and again, Brene Brown is a great, is a great teacher here. But I would just even reject the frame of if you're not with me, you're against me. I think that's, I think that's like a, 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 just a, a bullshit thing that people are telling mm-hmm. the world that like either you're with me or you're against me. If you're not taking a stand, you're, you're something else. And I just feel like I reject that. And that's one of the reasons I love the Together Tour is because it's about storytelling and like wild hearts and truth. And mm-hmm. you don't have to be with me to tell me, my, tell me your story. You don't have to have mm-hmm. the same story as me. I just yeah. want to hear the truth. I want to hear what literally lives in your heart. And I feel like if we could get if we could all get a little closer instead of a little further apart, fear cannot survive proximity. It's like you want to find out about your enemies, hold their baby. <laughs> I'll throw their babies. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but it's um, we feel that way, but that the truth is we're not getting any closer that way. 
It's not good yeah. people and bad people. It just I agree with you to a certain extent. I can I can see it both ways. Um, someone told me that my thinking was very like Jesuit. I don't really know what that means because I didn't <laughs> go to college and I'm not a Catholic. But uh, the the with me or against me thing, I think is important in times where there's there's like just such grave injustices happening in the world. But I also think and, and and the world wants to simplify things for the sake of these like short communications right. that That's happen right. largely digitally where a lot of meaning is lost. Um, but at the same time, there's so many layers to every issue that, um, you know, summing them up in a tweet um, right. isn't the thing that's going to you know, probably change the world either. Right. I mean, I would say... And it's so um, much more complex than exactly. that. Exactly. often very much more personal than any of us, like, have the, you know, time or energy to invest, which, you know, just just makes everything kind of hard to weed through. But as far as authenticity goes... Yeah, I would say know. true to all that, everything that you just said, in, and also that we have to just be comfortable living inside the questions sometimes, mm-hmm. as opposed to having the answers. Because... From a you know a little bit of a spiritual perspective, I think that obviously the the political climate that we're living through right now is you know unprecedented manifestation of you know whatever you want to call it the politically correct times it's the you know the 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 aftermath of having an African American president all of this stuff is now being manifested writ large. I also believe that the climate is also almost a a physical manifestation of what's happening, hmm. and I just feel like the people that are elevating a little bit beyond right and wrong and with me or against me and who are instead willing to sort of listen and hear truth and hear authenticity wherever it is, I think that that's where I believe that that's where we're going to find some kind of harmony and some kind of togetherness. I mean, not to, you know, not to hit too hard on the, on the word together, but it really, we all want the same things. Like we all want to know that what we say matters, that we're going to have a better life for ourselves, for our family maybe for our communities, but we're very focused on the differences. And I think the truth is every single person, I guess with exceptions of sociopaths, but we all want the same things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think some people maybe do want different things. I think, I don't know. I want to believe that like on a human level. And then I see some of the conversations that are happening out in the world that are becoming more and more um, in the – you know, people that may have had like closeted, you know, opinions now have like a huge stage because of this. Oh, president. totally. And no, no, no. That's what I mean by like um, the, you know, the shadow, the, you know, the manifestation of all of the damping people down and telling people, don't say that. You can't feel that way. That's what I think is the flip side, the shadow side of the political correctness is that people are like, I'm sick and tired of being told what I can't say and what I can't do. And. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I happen to have a brother-in-law who is on a different side of the fence than me and in a way that is shocking. And he's also somebody that has been by my side every time I've ever been in the hospital. He's driven through the night when I've needed him. He has two three-legged dogs. So there's all this other loving information about him um, that if you want to put that data in too, you begin to see a full picture. And I can just tell you from firsthand experience – he wants love. He wants a better life for himself and his family the same way I do and I know that you do too. So mm-hmm. anyway, you and I are – you know, we're not going to – we agree more than we disagree. We're but not going to also... solve the world's problems on this podcast. Right. Oh, but man. what I will say is that the poet Rumi has a fantastic quote. There's a field beyond right and wrong. I'll meet you there. 
And I just think we need to get into the field beyond right and wrong. I think that's a great quote. Because otherwise we're just screaming at each other the whole entire time. And I just think having the moral high ground has gotten us absolutely nowhere. We'll be back with more of Jennifer Rudolph Walsh in just a second. But first, Jericho, I need a snack break. (laughs) Are you hungry? Yes. Uh, Have you heard of Thrive Market? (laughs) Matura's Rising. No, I haven't. That's crazy. I I mean, Thrive Market is such an amazing online store. They sell all of the top organic and healthy food products for 25 to 50 percent off shipped straight to your door. Go on the website. It's thrivemarket.com. Do a few price comparisons with Whole Foods. It's so much cheaper. It's crazy. Um, They have really great quality products. It's basically wholesale prices for organic and non-GMO food, um, which is like amazing. They're non-toxic, BPA-free, non-GMO, no artificial ingredients, and you won't believe the prices. How do they keep them down, though? They cut out the middlemen. Um, and so they work directly with the brands, and then they pass all the savings on to their members. They don't have the real estate that a grocery store does. So clever. Bless them. And even better, for everyone who signs up, Thrive Market donates a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So together, we're all making healthy living affordable for everyone. And that's why I'm so proud to have them as a partner. I think us millennials have figured it out. Like. We know what matters. We want to invest in the things that matter. And we're building Mm -hmm. companies that, like, serve us. And Thrive Market speaks so much to that. It's way easier than a grocery store. Their website is really easy to use. It's super curated, Mm -hmm. um, very easy to search. So go to thrivemarket.com slash girlboss and get $60 off of free organic groceries and free shipping and a 30-day trial membership. Go to thrivemarket.com slash girlboss. You'll get organic groceries you love at prices you'll love even more. Keep in mind that Thrive Market's prices are already 25 to 50% below retail because they cut out the middlemen. Now they're offering $60 of free organic groceries and free shipping. That's crazy. Go to thrivemarket.com slash girlboss. And now back to Jennifer Rudolph Walsh. I want to share with you guys one of my favorite quotes. This one was written by Rainer Maria Rilke, and he says, Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves, like lock rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given to you, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then, gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I love that. And it's so true. And I can understand why somebody exactly where you are in your, in your life finds, you know, finds that just probably the most difficult thing in the world. And I think probably you know, when I was sitting where you were, I also felt like, fuck that. <laughs> Give me the answers. I need to get to the next stage now. But I turned 50 on Valentine's Day and I absolutely – I'm just loving the 50s decade so far. I mean I'm only at the beginning. My grandfather always said that the 50s were the decade of great reward for people who did their work in their 30s and 40s. And I always held that out. I worked, 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 worked. I wanted to get the decade of great reward. And I'm here. And I can tell you it really feels like that because 
for the first time, I don't feel like I need the answers. Like I'm, I'm okay not knowing. I'm okay inside the questions. And, you know, it's like when you get to the, when you're reading a mystery, the great part, even though you're dying to get to the end, it's not great to get to the end because when you get to the end, it's over and you're bummed. You're like, oh, damn, I want to read it all over again, but it'll never be new to me again. And I have that awareness about life now. It's like, I'm not looking to get to the answers anymore. I'm just reveling in the opportunity to ask new questions and to, and to connect with people around their experiences. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And so I want to hear about Together Live, which is a conference series that is coming to how many different cities? It's 10 cities. Um, this is our second year. Last year, we went to six cities. We saw 15,000 people. And this year it's 10 cities and then – 10 cities and then we're closing TED Women. So it's 11 cities including TED. Um, We've already done Portland and Seattle. But let me tell you a little about what Together Live is. It's it's a touring event that's dedicated to storytelling, purpose, and social action that is democratizing the conference experience. So – All the other wonderful women's conferences out there tend to be hundreds of dollars per ticket and often two days. And as I did my my other conferences and had these amazing experiences, what I came to realize is that two huge barriers for there to be inclusivity, and one of them is money and the other one is time. So even just being in a room for two days is a privilege that a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create a touring event that happened on a weekday evening for three hours and tickets started at $25. So basically about the amount of money that you pay for a movie and a piece of pizza and for about the same amount of time, you can really transform your life by, you know, by being able to, to uncover your purpose and connect to a community that supports you in getting into action. And what kind of action do you mean? Because that word means a lot of things today. It, it can mean anything to anybody. So our core speakers – Go to every city, and our, one of our core speakers is also our co, co, our co-founder, Glennon Doyle, and she's extraordinary. And so, and she's the number one New York Times bestselling author of Love Love Warrior, her memoir. And her wife, Abby Wambach, and uh, Lovey Ajayi, and Latham Thomas. These women go from place to place to place with us, and to, to each one of them, action means a different thing. I can tell you, you know. Some some people it's social action. Some people it's getting sober. Some people it's breathing more and meditating daily. So you define what getting into action means to you. And then at each stop, we have special guests. So we had Basma St. John in Seattle last week. We have Dr. Kenoki Ford in San Jose. We have Jen Hatmaker and Alexis Jones in Austin. We have Maysoon Zaid and Amani Al-Kataba in D.C., in Nashville, we have Sophia Bush, Ruthie Lindsay, Connie Britton, and Karen Fairchild. In Minneapolis, we have Krista Tippett, who I adore. In Chicago, we have Iftahaj Muhammad. And in Philadelphia, we have Elizabeth Lesser. So we have great speakers, guest speakers at every event. And then we also have our core speakers who just are blow your mind. I mean, they just share their wild hearts and their truths in such a heart-stopping way. I'm, I just, I can't, I've never been to a better event. That's all I can say. I hope that people that are listening to this will want to join us. This word purpose, it gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a phase of my life where I've been thinking about that term more than ever, because I don't think, it's not something I really 
cared about in my 20s. It was didn't come naturally to me. I'm an only child. I don't know. Maybe I'm a narcissist. I don't know. You're not a narcissist. Uh, and you're also somebody who actually, I think, happened on your purpose very, very naturally. I mean, very naturally, but I'm still articulating it to myself yeah. and I'm still struggling with it because I'm not, I'm, I'm an introvert and my purpose is something that feels like requires parts of me. Anyway, we we can get into that. No, I mean, no, we no, don't... no, no. Let me say something because, <laughs> no, because I'm somebody who's known you since you're in your 20s yeah. and I've watched you unfold. And I think, first of all, purpose is an ongoing thing. It's not one and done. I mean, my purpose is to shine the light so others feel less alone, elevated, connected, and healed. But I've done that differently throughout my career. I mean, I can't believe I'm the MC of this event. That's the last thing in the world I ever imagined for myself. I mean, I used to say I'm the best kept secret, and I wanted it that way. Mm -hmm. But my purpose has unfolded in such a way that it makes the most amount of sense for me to be out there as the MC. But I'm an introvert, too. So I think that you're maybe mixing up the difference between your talent, your motivation, and your purpose. They're related, but they're not the same thing. Hmm. You are honestly one of the most authentic, authentic people I know. I mean, from the minute I met you, I was just like, boom, fully formed. Jeez. And that doesn't mean it's not a process. That doesn't mean that you're not going to keep growing and, you know, like at the end of a costume party, just keep taking, keep taking stuff off, you know? And that's, I think that's all of our goals. Yeah, but it's... you're very connected to purpose, Sophia. And I'm not, you know, you really are. When was the last time you spent a good amount of time thinking about your purpose? Figuring out a path, thinking about where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. It's a daunting task. And not easy for many of us to answer. Personally, I'm not sure I have the answer just yet. I think about it a lot. Always peeling back another layer of the onion. But I asked Jennifer to tell me more about how she views one's purpose and how she found hers. Tell me about this term purpose. What does it mean to you? Well, purpose to me means the reason you're born. It's like pretty simple. Like there's two most important days as, you know, as the saying goes, the day you're born and the day you find out why. So why is purpose important? Purpose is important because once you define your purpose, here's what falls away. Anxiety, overwhelmedness, depression, because when you're inside your purpose, you can't be overwhelmed. You just can't. And people feel it. It's contagious. So the reason that it's important to shift to purpose and to really define it is because it's a complete game changer for your own life satisfaction and also for your, for your output. And how do we find our purpose? Well, I mean, at our event, we walk you through a lot of different ways to do it. There are many ways. I went to Wharton 10 years ago and spent five weeks learning my purpose. And that's what I would call the privilege way of learning your purpose. So... That was where I began to find my purpose. And once I found it, at that time, I just thought it was shining the light forward so others feel less alone through the years I've added, elevated, connected, and healed. But at that time, I wanted everybody to understand their purpose because the minute I understood it, I could say no to things that did not serve my purpose. In other words, if you ask me to do something, whether even if it's good commercial value, even if there's money in it for me, if it didn't serve my purpose, I could say, no, thank you. I'm not the best person to do that. And so anything that you put on your plate that serves your purpose, your plate just expands. Time expands. Some people call that flow. Once you're in purpose, you just go and go, and the universe just gives you more and more opportunity and more and more energy. Well, I think a lot of it, you know, and this goes – this was one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know, how to find your purpose when you are impatient or when maybe you haven't earned it or maybe you feel like you're on to it, but you if haven't. you have breath, you have purpose. It's, there's, you don't have to earn it. You're born with it. That's the thing. It's not for special people. It's not for people who are 
are really aesthetic. It's not for people who don't drink or but don't But I think you have meat. to earn the understanding of what it is, right? Well, like work. you have to live yeah, enough life. You have to experience enough things. Some people wake up and they're like, my purpose is um, I'm going to... Very few people. Very few I'm going to be a doctor and, and inter- save lives and that is my purpose and I don't... I, I never question that. That's my purpose. Right. Very few people though, Sophia. And I think a lot of people too confuse talent with purpose and I've interviewed a lot of people on our stages, you know, people, Alicia Keys, who has obviously the most outsized, beautiful voice in the world or Abby Wambach, who's the greatest soccer player alive. Their talent is not their purpose, although it sometimes obscures them from finding their purpose because talent you can hide behind, whereas purpose is something you have to seek and find. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, for me, I would just say that there's something about you know using the language of of design and the way you present yourself, the way you've helped other people do that as a way to communicate and to authenticate who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have all the information because you don't have all the information, but mm-hmm. you're living your purpose. You just don't have the sentence that makes you realize that when you're not doing the thing that's in your purpose, you got to say, I politely decline to do that because if I do that, I know I'm going to become overwhelmed and you know, my life is not going to be in flow. Mm-hmm. So when you define it, you'll know better how to say no, but you're already saying yes to all the right things. Yeah. Yeah. I think saying no is uh, is is so... So important. Um, oh, my God. My favorite full sentence. No, period. <laughs> um, and you – so you were a, a working mom from an early age and it sounds like you, you know, were, you know, taking care of the family to a large extent given your husband was yeah. uh, in back school. in school. What mm-hmm. what do you think the biggest challenges are work, uh, facing working moms? Well, I mean – I would say that priorities are the most important thing. So in other words, it's not the same priority all the time. Like I, family first is a great thing to say, but if I have an important presentation and my son has a, a soccer game, my presentation is actually going to take precedent. If I have an important presentation and my son has a fever, then that's going to take precedent. So I think that you just have to be just flexible in your priorities and trust yourself and just reprioritize in every day, in every minute knowing that you have to serve what's most important and it can't be all things. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I'm, I've been excellent about, and my kids, if they were here, would say this, I'm not guilty. Like, I'm not a guilty person. I don't make a decision and then feel guilty about it because guilt serves literally nobody. I call it negative narcissism. It's like, it's all about you. It helps nobody. So, you know, I make a decision and if it's the wrong decision, which often it is, then I make the next right decision. That's all I got. I can't fix yesterday. I just got to make the next right decision. And I I just don't sit around feeling guilty about not being somebody else or, you know, my kids not having a different upbringing. That's really great. And I mean, you you sold the company you kind of accidentally bought. Uh, to, <laughs> but I sold it on purpose. I, I want to say that <laughs> to the William Morris Agency, and since then you've grown the team, the department so much. So, how many yeah. people is under are under you today? A lot, actually. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure. We have 25 agents in the in the book business. We have seven agents in the lecture business, and then I oversee the book to film and book to and book to TV too. Probably another ten, um, and then the conference business. I don't know, uh, quite a bit, quite a bit, but n- not too not too much because again, purpose, purpose, purpose. Does it feel like a lot more corporate of an environment than the one that you entered? Well, I kind of I think 
we're just going to keep quoting Rilke and Rumi the whole time. That's our main <laughs> thing, okay? So I think that it is Rumi, but it might be Rilke who says, wherever you stand, be the soul of that place. And so no place that I am feels corporate because it's me and I'm bringing my whole self wherever I go. And so I kind of oversee the New York office. And even though that's not where all of my departments are housed, but you come into my office and you're going to get hugs and we're going to talk about real stuff and there's glass everywhere so you can see through everybody living their real lives. So to me, WME does not feel corporate at all. And that's what I think WME is. And we're all, you know, we're all just ride or die, badass, passionate builders of influence. Yeah. Building influence is such a fascinating thing. And I think it's really kind of confusing or baffling for a lot of people. Like, how do I get a book published? How can I speak at the right conference? You know, what do I have to say? How do I craft that message? And, you know, and WME, you know, these agencies, these agencies seem, you know, larger than life. You know, what advice would you have for someone who wants to be talent or who, you know, has talent and talent being like the word that Hollywood uses right. for people I mean, who are their own businesses, really? But, um, you know, how do you get a book deal? Well, I'm a word person. So in other words, I'm old fashioned enough to think a brand is like GE, not a person. So I say don't have a brand, have a voice. And what I recommend to people that want to, you know, be talent, so to speak, is that first they find a voice. And I always say, if you want magic, be magic. So I think that I'm, you know, I'm not the best person to speak to overall, like in front of, you know, as opposed to what front of front of the camera thing is. But if you have a story to tell, just tell it. Tell your story. Tell it from the truest, wildest, most painful place you can tell it. And it will find an audience. And again, that's what Together Live is all about. It's just finding a place where everybody's story can be elevated from the personal to the universal. Because back to what we were saying earlier, I personally believe that everybody wants the same thing. They just want to know, did you hear me? Did what I say make sense? Does it matter? What if we want you to be our audience? What if we want Jennifer Rudolph Walsh or the literary agents at WME? How do we, how do we get something on your desk? Write the truest letter you know how to write. Write the truest book you know how to write. You know, tell the, tell the truth. And when you do that, you're going to elevate yourself and someone's going to hear it. And... Every, every story told truthfully and honestly is going to find a reader that actually says, oh, yeah, I was born to represent that story. But again, you know, that's why in addition to the Together Live tour, we're also launching our podcast today, which is called Do It On Purpose, presented by Together Live. And it's interviews about people who are making that shift to purpose, who are making that brave change, who are getting into action, who are dealing with issues of body image, identity, addiction, heartbreak, all the things. I'm converted. And do you have any crazy stories of someone who is like a total unknown, who had a book proposal or a, or a, or a full, fully written book that somehow by some just la- like the chances were so slim that you would have wound up looking at this and they, you know, wound up becoming a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. I have a lot of stories like that, but I'll tell you two. The first one is um, I went to a writer's conference many, many years ago and there was a woman there who had written a short story. And my, my boss at the time, Virginia Barber, she was with me and she spoke to the woman afterwards and said, you know, you really should turn that into a novel. And it was about bees in somebody's wall. And then we totally forgot about it. And three years later, a novel appears on our desk. 
And it's the woman's like, you said that I should turn that short story into a novel and I've been doing nothing else. You know, I'm 54 years old. This is my first novel. And I'm just – it was because of what you said that I had the courage to do this. And okay, not that we remembered what we said, but, you know, we read the book and we fell madly in love with it and it was The Secret Life of Bees. And we sold it and – you know, we've published it in 37 languages and Oprah made it a book club pick and a beautiful movie was made. And so that was this story about a 54-year-old woman who was like, I think I have a story to tell. And, you know, Sue Mon Kidd is one of the most amazing novelists, thought leaders, extraordinary human beings, the greatest blessing of my career. And yet it started with, you know, I'm 54 and I think I'm finally ready to, to tell my story. Wow. So that's a story I love. And then the other one I love actually occurred around the same time. But I represented a woman who was a gossip columnist at New York Magazine. And she was writing a book about the real story, like the way gossip worked. Actually, funnily enough, she was specializing in the Marla Maple, uh, Donald Trump divorce and how that whole thing was actually played completely by Donald Trump. But it was like the behind the scenes of page six. And it was called Dish. And I loved it. And I sold it. It didn't do a big business, but I thought it was really smart. And it was really, you know, there was no internet back then. So it was really kind of uncovering how the celebrities themselves were really driving those gossip, you know, those gossip columns. And about two years later, she sends me a proposal for a new book with no preparation whatsoever. She's just like, here's this proposal. And it was for The Glass Castle. And it was her, it was her true life. And I had known her at that point four or five years, and I had absolutely no idea that she had been homeless as a child, yeah, that she had I moved around this. from place to place. I mean, she was the most polished person you ever wanted to meet. And I was just absolutely blown away when I read her proposal, but there was a problem with it. It was like literally wrapped in saran wrap. She was telling the story from a distance as if it happened to somebody else. I mean, she'd literally never told anybody. So I read it and I was just blown away by it. But I said, okay, now you have to unwrap it. Like you, we can't be looking at this through a window. And she, three months later, handed in the glass castle. And we've got about 25 million copies sold of that book. And the movie just came out. But again, a completely out of left field, you know, blow my blow the top of my head off, like in one of those cartoons where the head kind of blows off and you see the character. Like that was me. I mean, what I love about books is that you never know. Never, you never know. So here's how you get a book published. Well, one, you have to have a book in you, um, which was the way that my agent put it, who's Andy McNichol. Met Andy McNichol and uh, told her I wanted to write a business book for girls who might be unlikely entrepreneurs like myself. And I had a crazy story to tell. And she said, you have a book in you. I said, all right, and how does this work? And she said, well, you have to write a proposal. And a proposal's, I don't know, it can be 15 pages, it can be 25 pages. You write the introduction that would be published in the book. So the same introduction that I wrote in my proposal was the one that was in Girl Boss. You put together a table of contents, which, I mean, even if you're not selling a book or writing a proposal, having an outline, just at the very least a table of contents when you go to write a book is really helpful. Uh, you have to do a little research on the books that are similar. So you have to like write out like these are the competing books or the books in the marketplace that would be most similar. What else? You have to write a sample chapter, a bio about yourself. And if you have an agent, the agent then sends it out to publishers and those people read your proposal. And then there's a few different ways they do. Like if there's more than one person interested in the book, there can be like a like a blind kind of bidding kind of process. And that can really run the gamut. 
you know, can be like a, the tiniest amount of money. I mean, if you're an unknown author, it can be very, very little. And then you have to write a book. And that's the hard part. Last question. Well, a couple questions. I don't want to stop talking. We talk a lot at Girlboss and at girlboss.com about this term success and what does it mean? And it's it's a word that just, you know, it's the whole world kind of pressuring us to be this one thing. Is it financial? Is it, is it personal? You know, there's a, a lot of pressure for us to kind of be perfect. And, you know, we, we know that no one is, but we still kind of m- post about our perfect lives on social media and um and we know it's not just financial because that would be boring right some of the richest people i know are some of the most unhappy people i've ever met in my life i know right how many times how many like amazing swimming pools can you sit by and like yachts right. can you how many cashmere on? sweaters do you just need like, yeah and then you elevate to the point where you haven't been in an airport or a supermarket in so long and that you're just living in a complete golden cage yeah yeah no thanks what do you think success is Well, to me, success – and I'm sorry I'm a broken record here, but success is knowing that you're living your purpose, knowing that you're making the greatest impact on the most amount of people through your unique reason for being here. And so for me, when I'm doing that, like I just feel this sense of being full, not busy, but just full and just – sort of relaxed on an existential level because I know, yes, I'm doing the things. I'm not always doing them right, but I'm doing the things. And so to me, that's what success feels like. You know, I've, I've climbed a mountain in my own little way and I've done it towards a goal. And for me, the goal was to make my unique mark on this earth and I'm doing that. And so that's what success feels like to me. I like cashmere sweaters, by the way, don't get me wrong. And I like knowing fan- fancy, famous people But truly, what I love more than anything is taking the wisdom of those incredibly small rooms and bringing them to the largest rooms possible. And that's why Together Live is like a manifestation of a dream for me because I want everybody to have access to that wisdom. I want everybody to have access to well-being. And I think that there's a a very easy way to do that. We just need to get together. Jennifer Rudolph Walsh has an impressive handle on her life's purpose. For most of us, it takes a lot of self-reflection. I asked Jennifer to tell me about her most recent girl boss moment. When do I feel like a girl boss? All the fucking time, man. It's just like, it's just, I do what I want to do. And if it doesn't feel right to me, then I just don't do it. So here's an example of sometime I, I felt like a girl boss recently is that we were on the stage in Seattle on Thursday night. There's 3,000 people in the auditorium. It's crazy. And there's six of us sitting on the stage and Glennon Doyle, our co-founder, says, let's talk about race. And I could just see everybody's face, like scared. Nobody wanted to have a conversation about race in front of 3,000 people. And nobody wanted to be the person at that, on that couch that said the wrong thing. And how I felt like a boss was like, I got this. Yes, let's talk about race. And I said to Lovey Ajayi right away, you know, what does is, what is support look like? And Glennon had said, what does allyship look like? And Lovey said, I don't want an ally. I want an accomplice. And I just leaned right in and I said, tell me how to be your accomplice. Tell me. And it's just trusting myself and trusting that if I say the wrong thing, who cares? My heart's in the right place. I have an open heart and an open mind. And I'm going to learn from whatever happens, but I'm not afraid. I'd be afraid of being silent. Well, it's a lot more uncomfortable to be living as a non-white, non-straight, non-cisgendered person uh, in today's world, right? Then, like Totally. 
Totally. Then, uh, and I just, my dream is to give voice. So I had an opportunity to give voice and to not be afraid of that and to elevate every single person there. And I just, I felt like a girl boss there. Aw. Jennifer, thank you so much. Oh, thank you this so much, great. Sophie. It was so great talking to you. And again, togetherlive.com for our tickets. Cool. And also podcast, Do It On Purpose, presented by Together Live, which you can get at iTunes, Google Play, or wherever anybody gets their, their Stuff. podcasts. I know I'm not alone when I say thank you, Jennifer, for coming on Girl Boss Radio today. We all are better for having spent this time with you. Follow us at Girlboss and tell your friends about this podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. See you guys next week.